No is a decision. Yes is a responsibility. And when you say no, you're only saying no to one option. But when you say yes, you're saying no to every other option. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski, and our producer for the Faculty Factory Podcast, Mr. Casey Callanan, has been bugging me to do a little chat on the competent person syndrome. Hi, Casey. Hi, Kim. Thanks for doing this. It's selfishly something that I wanted to learn more about. So if you don't mind, I'll just ask you to start the podcast out by reminding us what competent person syndrome is. Okay. Thanks, Casey. Well, I actually uh, labeled this the competent woman syndrome years and years and years ago. And I have a suspicion that maybe my naming it is my thing, but I don't think the concept is new. And gosh, I think I was back when I was at Penn State when one day I was just whining about like, why do I get asked to do everything? Every Everything is on me. When, when, when? How come I'm the one who always gets hit up to take the meeting minutes, organize the session, do the program, send the email, make up the calendar, come up with the logo, blah, blah, blah. And then I think it was a, a colleague of mine said, well, it's because you're so good at it. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, somebody else can do it. They're like, no, you're the best at it. You're really good at it. And then I think it was like even more recently when I think I was whining to you about it, Casey, was that I have um, a lot of friends who are introverts and maybe, I don't know, sure that has anything to do with it, but they'll be like, well, you know, yeah, we should all get together and do a party or do a picnic or do an outing, you know, before the pandemic, back when, um, back in the olden days when people actually got together. They'd say, yeah, we should do that. Kim, why don't you organize that? And I'd be like, dude, why do I have to be the one who organizes the trip or the vacation or the event or the picnic or the party? Oh, because you're so good at it. And I'm like, darn it, this is just like not fair. How come it's all on me? So I was feeling sorry for myself. And and then I think, remember, I sharing with you and I said, it's because the idea that if you want something done, ask the busiest person. And it sounds paradoxical or strange. Like, why would you ask a busy person who's obviously already busy to do something? And it's because they are organized and they're the ones who get something done. So I think that's how I came to you with over the years of saying, yeah, Casey, I used to call it the competent woman syndrome, but I think you're, you're the same way. It's, I should not be such a sexist. It should be a competent person syndrome because despite the fact that I'm a woman and I, I'm friends with a lot of women and no women who all kind of agree that, yeah, I'm always hit up to do those things that I, I absolutely know without a doubt that there are men out there who are also the ones who are always the go-to people. There are certain people who they're known to be reliable and you can count on them. And my boss actually told me, I think about a year or so ago, she's like, yeah, you've earned a reputation for someone who gets things done, that if you want something done, ask him. And so I think the challenge there is that if you're one of those people, it's it's a blessing and a curse for obvious reasons. Obvious that, you know, we were gifted with this ability to be uber organized, very productive, responsible, responsive. So that's good. But the curse is that we get asked to do everything and then we can feel overwhelmed. 
a lot of people have had to pivot and recalibrate and so shift priorities, which means, unfortunately, a lot of work is being offloaded to faculty. And a lot of that work is administrative work, mind-numbing IRB stuff, paperwork, grant uh, reports, um, a lot of um, stuff that makes uh, a lot of faculty members and researchers, you know, heads explode when they have to just fill out all this mind-numbing paperwork and online modules and regulatory compliance things. And even for crying out loud, uploading a paper, I'm sending in a revision for a paper and I'm like almost three hours into the upload process. A lot of these journals have offloaded the editing work to the author. So we're the ones who have to do a lot of the what journals used to do back in the olden days of, of editing and formatting and reformatting and structuring things. So it's a lot of busy work that, um, and I'm afraid that more of that is going to fall on our faculty members, which is not good. So that means we're spending our valuable wetware, the brains, the, the, the goo in between our ears, doing things that rob our joy and that maybe are not a good use of our time. What about saying no? It's one of the hardest things to do. Saying no, it seems like some of this might come back to that simple yet extremely difficult thing to do. So do you have any advice on saying no in order to perhaps combat some of this competent person syndrome and the effects of it? No. <laughs> that, nah, that's the first question you've been stumped on, huh? In the history no, of this no. podcast. I was practicing saying no. Uh, oh, okay. I thought, I thought you finally had, were going to respond without the answer. Okay. Let's, let's, let's hear more. I'll, I'll, I'll mute myself to listen. <laughs> we, we teach our faculty in our leadership courses exactly that, Casey saying no. And how do you learn to do something like, like with any habit and establishing any sustainable habit, like for example, in the WAGs, the writing accountability groups, a sustainable habit of writing is practice. The best way to get into a habit of doing anything, if it's working out, eating right, picking up a hobby, practicing violin, like my best friend Toby, is habit, is is to practice it over and over. So literally saying no, oh my gosh, you know, Right. No, thank you. Right now, I'm really overwhelmed, but maybe next year. Or no, not me, but maybe her. Maybe Kim can do it. Case Or Casey would love to do that. He's told me before he was interested in doing that. Or can you allow me some time to think about this? So we say a classic a response should be, wow, thanks for that opportunity. I'm so glad that you thought about me. Um, I'm going to need some space to think about that. Can I get back to you within fill in the blank, 24 hours, 48 hours, or let me run that by my mentor. That's a nice, good way to get some physical and emotional and mental space from the request because we all know in academic medicine, there is never, never, never a lack of things to do. And especially if you suffer from competent person syndrome and you're known for getting her done, people are going to come at you with requests. So yes, it is incumbent upon you to practice saying a gracious no or a gracious thank you so much. Let me run that by my mentor. I have a lot on my plate and I want to do a good job for you. As you know, I'm used to doing things well and I want to make sure I give you my best. So let me think on this for a moment or let me get back to you on that. And it could end up being a firm no. I always have lots of quotes because of course I'm a on my Clifton strengths, Dr. Rachel Salas showed me that my number one strength is input. So I have lots of stuff and I love quotes. No is a decision. 
yes is a responsibility. And when you say no, you're only saying no to one option. But when you say yes, you're saying no to every other option. So no, no is not to be taken um, lightly. It's a very important strategy in academic medicine. You have to be very careful with your yeses and your nos. And I always refer to Stephen Covey's time management matrix. And you can go, anybody can Google that. That's the classic two by two matrix, Stephen Covey's time management matrix, where he has on the X, the Y axis is not important, important. And across the top, X axis, urgent, not urgent. So you've got things that are not urgent and not important. That's quadrant four, the lower right. That's time wasting. Don't do those things. Get rid of them. Those spam emails, you know, right click on those and block those. Not urgent, not important. Lower left quadrant is the urgent, but the not important. Those are some phone calls, some emails, some interruptions. You can maybe delegate some of that stuff. The urgent upper left and important things are things typically in our, our job. You got to see the patient, teach the class, work with the trainees, meet with your lab research assistants. Those are urgent and important things. They're deadlines, important pressing things. You have to attend to those. That's quadrant one. But the quadrant that most everybody ignores is the things that are important, but not urgent. That's the quadrant of leadership. That's the quadrant, again, upper right. It's important, but it's not urgent. I have to submit, I want to work on this paper, but I don't have to do it today. Or this paper doesn't have to be submitted today. Uh, this grant is not due for a couple of weeks. I don't have to do it this moment. Or I don't have to fix my CV right now. I want to get promoted, but it doesn't have to happen today. Uh, I want to be healthy, but it doesn't have to happen right now. So we tend to put off a lot of this stuff in the things that are important, but they're not urgent because we think we've got time. I can write that book, write the paper, get promoted, fix my CV, network later. And those are the things we put off. So we always here at Hopkins in our leadership programs and our seminars and our workshops urge our faculty members to get very, very good rehearsed practice at saying know, consulting with mentors, and understand those pressing the, the, the conflict between expectations and managing those expectations of other people. And it's, it's tough because for junior faculty members, they always say, well, how can I say no to my boss? Are you kidding me? And I'm, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that guy who's not the team player. I definitely think that's the scariest part of saying no is thinking about the consequences that might be there. Is it helpful to perhaps identify some of those fears that you have in saying no before you actually say no and planning out some of the worst case scenarios of saying no? Would you recommend doing that? Yeah. Well, so again, I have a flip answer for that because my, my ex-husband will tell you that the way I got out of doing laundry was by doing it very badly. So he, uh, he actually forbade me from doing laundry. Oh, horror of all horrors, because I would have two loads, whitish clothes, and colorish clothes, and they'd go on one big load, hot water, and then I'd put everything in the dryer on hot heat and blast the heck out of them. And after doing that a couple weeks of marriage, he's like, you are not allowed to be near laundry. And I was like, oh, really? Darn, shucks. So my sarcastic answer would be, if you don't want to do something, uh, the easiest way to, to not be asked to do something is do it poorly. And of course, that's total sarcasm. But 
yes, you have to think about the politics and what are politics, just simply understanding other people's motivations and being smart about what you say no to and what you say yes to. And the easiest way as a junior faculty member to get around that without feeling like a jerk is to your boss and to your division director, your department chair is to say, gosh, you know, again, thank you so much for that confidence in me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm actually, you know, very grateful for that you thought about me and I'm, I'm flattered. I, I really want to learn more about this. I really want to think about this carefully. Um, because you know, I just got that, uh, training award grant and I'm building a new practice, uh, at the new clinic. And I'm really loving teaching these, you know, the new residents. So I really want to think about this. I'm going to run this by my mentor. I promise I'm going to get back to you by Friday at noon. Is that okay? Will that work for you? And that space of, again, acknowledging, thanking them, but then removing yourself and then running through then on your own, the pros, the cons, meeting with a mentor, thinking about this. Is this smart? Is this a good move? As my colleague and um, dear friend, Dr. David Yusum would say, is this mission-centric? Is this mission-centric? Doing this thing, will this get me to my um, goal? Is this part of my mission or is it extraneous? Is it ambling me down maybe a crooked path? And sometimes we have to do those things. Sometimes, you know, we have to, we're pressured to do things that are outside of our sweet spots for the good of the team. But that's what a mentor will help you figure out if it's politic for you to do something or not something. And then there's always, again, ways to negotiate that. You know, I'm not real comfortable doing this long term. How about I do it for six months and then do a handoff? Can I do it halftime and my my colleague will will split that? Um, do, are there any resources to help me with that? You know, so there are ways to then a mentor can help you figure out, negotiate the best way to do this so that you're not saying no, hard stop, no. Or maybe you're saying no, not now, or yes, but with help. So all that stuff, you know, to say you're not alone. That's why you have mentors. That's why you have colleagues. That's why you sure. all have faculty development offices and dean type chair people who will help you navigate those kinds of requests. And it feels like saying no and effective time management strategies go hand in hand. They go together as nicely as coffee and chocolate or coffee and donuts. (laughs) Is there anything you want to say about time management strategies? Because it feels like you could have the best time management strategies in the world, but if you're not saying no, then it's not going to matter. Wouldn't that feel or is saying no a part of an effective Mm. time management strategy? Oh, gosh. As usual, you have a great question, Casey. Yeah, I think they are hand in glove and you're you're really right. Like I feel... I'm really expert at time management. I inherited in my DNA from my mom, Scarlett, um, organizational skills and time management skills that are just natural to me. And you're also exactly right that just because I'm good at time managing doesn't mean that I'm good at saying no, because I'm not good at saying no. And I, and I, I'm getting better at it, but I'm, I, I suffer from also being a people pleaser. And that's a real challenge for me of unfortunately seeking validation externally by people like, oh, they're not going to like me if I say no. So they, they do go hand in hand and you're right. I can be a really good time manager, but if I'm saying yes to everything, that simply means then I am erring on the side of overwhelming myself and over planning and over programming. And I could be knocking things out of the park, but guess what? As that famous sage of our times, 
Miss Oprah Winfrey always says, if you don't want to burn out, stop living like you're on fire. And then I'll find myself feeling like I'm on fire. I'm on fire and fuego and fuego on fire on fire because I'm, 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 I'm doing, I'm hyper productive, but I'm so burned out and so angry. And then I stew and I stew and I stew. And that's something else I learned from the Myers Briggs and this recently, this Clifton Strengths thing from the Myers Briggs. I'm an ENTJ, extroverted, intuitive thinking, judging. So I'm kind of off the charts on almost everything except the T and the F. I'm close to being a feeler, thank the Lord. But because I'm a high J, like that means I'm highly structured and scheduled. And what happens in the Myers-Briggs, these psychologists have pointed out that all of our strengths overplayed can be deficits. So the Myers-Briggs calls it being in the grip, when you're in the grip. So the strengths that you think, ah, I'm great, I'm knocking on the park, I'm super good, I'm, I'm really organized. But ENTJs, because we're hard-driving leaders, born leader types, we can come off as being very, when I'm in the grip, when I'm stressed out, as being overbearing, snowplowing, arrogant, abrasive, because we push, push, push. And that's what happens when I get overwhelmed. So saying no, when I feel myself getting crunchy like that, getting that that face or that feeling of impatient it's because i'm in i'm in the grip similarly in the clifton strengths that dr rachel salas taught me about my strengths are input i'm looking at a piece of paper input strategic futuristic achiever and intellect so similarly and i guess four of these five are very um strategic but just like the Myers-Briggs, those are my strengths, input being number one. So I like data. I love stuff. But when I'm stressed out, there's a shadow side. It's called the sh- being in the shadow side. So for instance, when I have a lot of input, the shadow side of that is that I have so much stuff in my brain and I'm so strategic that I can, I'm always planning, over planning, over programming, and I move very quickly to decisions. And that means I can leave a lot of people out of the decision-making process because I'm going, going, going strategically or intellect is one of my strengths. So the shadow side of that is perceived as being aloof because I'm in my, in my head. So I've learned a lot about myself, which is part of good leadership, you know, learning to manage yourself to better manage others and learning how other people think and work together just to maximize our, our strengths and our gifts and our talents that, that were given to us. Saying, you know, the no and the time management is all part and parcel of leadership and just learning and growing and developing and trying to build on our strengths and minimize our weaknesses, as you said, you know, being aware of these blind spots. And is there anything else you want to share from your experience dealing with competent person syndrome you think will help others? The whole point of that thing is just to raise awareness. If you are, if you do suffer from the competent person syndrome, Awareness, just raising awareness and knowing that it is flattering. It is, it's a strength that you have that people see you as someone who is competent and is productive and can close the deal while recognizing that the potential, you know, problem with that is that you may feel um, burned out and you may not be paying attention to the things that are mission centric to you. So that just like everything in life, balancing inviting your tribe, your team, those closest to you to remind you and to call you out when you are 
maybe um, exhibiting some of those characteristics that you don't like that are that are like red flags of saying, you know, uh, the dashboard red light blinking to you, like you need a timeout, you need to go take a walk or reprioritize or rethink what you're doing. That, that I think is important that we surround ourselves with people who will help us and see us and see when we're struggling and, you know, show a little bit of grace and mercy to yourself. But again, it's, it's a blessing. Make sure like anything with any blessing that you don't overplay it so that it ends up being your own detriment. There's another quote, of course, I like is that, did you collaborate in your own defeat? A lot of people do learn not to. So let's not collaborate in our own defeat. I guess that's a John Gardner quote, uh, that, uh, we have to make sure that we are, you know, mindful again, mindful of who we are, what we're doing and just help each other, lift each other up. That's part of this podcast is that hopefully it's an idea that we're lifting each other up. That was amazing. I feel a lot better now that I've learned about this. Uh, thank you. Any other final thoughts or are we good to go? I think we're good to go. I think that was a great idea. Thanks for pushing me as usual and encouraging me to do sure. this. You, you always, uh, yeah, you're, you're my best cheerleader. Thanks, Casey. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, everybody in the Faculty Factory podcast. Tune in next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.